Welcome to Pioneering Today with me, Melissa K. Norris, where I inspire your faith and your pioneer roots. I show you how to grow your own food, heirloom gardening, how to preserve your food at home, and modern homesteading. Tune in every other Friday as I share proven strategies that anyone can do to live the pioneer lifestyle. Make sure to head over to melissaknorris.com and subscribe to receive free Pioneering Today articles and updates. Hey guys, so today I am excited to talk to you all about your fall gardening prep work. Um, It seems kind of funny to think about prepping for your garden in fall because typically when we think about gardening, we usually think springtime and summertime and fall is usually the season where the garden kind of winds down and you put things to rest for the winter um, and you're not really thinking a whole lot about planting. But fall is actually the time, the best time to do Um, your soil amendments for the following spring planting. Um, And so depending upon where you're at, um, if you've already had your first hard frost, um, some of the things that we talk about today, you won't be able to do, um, but some of them you still can. So um, this is going to be primarily for those of us who haven't had our first hard frost yet, which most of us um, haven't. So Um, I don't know about you guys, but fall is one of my favorite times of year, though I think every season (laughs) when it starts, I'm so ready for the next season to start, (laughs) is kind of my favorite time of year. But fall is definitely one of my favorite times of year. I love being able to wear scarves and having hot hot drinks, mugs of apple cider and tea and of course coffee. Um, I'm from the Pacific Northwest. And that's where we live. So I am totally a coffee girl, um, though I make most of my coffee at home. So I'm not really a big, even if Starbucks was kind of birthed in Seattle, um, I'm not really a big Starbucks fan or girl. Um, part of the reason is because the closest Starbucks to us is like at least almost an hour away. So Starbucks isn't um, actually a place that I frequent very often. So um, we have a little local stand that sells organic um, coffee actually. And so I'll go there every now and then, but for the most part, I make it at home. Um, So that's one of my favorite things about fall is getting all cozy and of course pumpkin, which will have some upcoming stuff on pumpkins because fall and pumpkin are kind of synonymous, um, especially with all the pumpkin recipes that seem to hit. So anyways, fall is one of my favorite times. And one of the things that I love about fall actually is kind of putting the garden to, to rest. Um, except it's funny because even though I'm not having to do a whole lot to the garden come fall after we do our fall prep, um, you know, I'm getting to rest from the garden, but actually all of the wonderful um, work that's going on during the wintertime in the garden that you, your eye doesn't really see plays a huge benefit um, to your crop the following spring. So for um, your fall gardening prep, one of the first things um, that you'll need to know, of course, to do most of this is um, gardening really revolves around knowing when your first and last hard frosts are for your region. And so you can Google that. Um, Just go into Google and type in the area that you live and type in the average first hard frost date and average first last um, hard frost date. And so in the springtime when you're planting, you're going to know when your last hard frost date is for doing different crops. But you, um, for this 
time of year and purpose. You're going to need to know when your first hard frost date usually hits um, for a lot of your fall garden prep work. And so for us, where I live in the Pacific Northwest, most um, of the time, our average first hard frost is about the first of November, end of October. Um, so we're about uh, about six to seven weeks out still. Um, and so, you know, sometimes you'll get some little lighter frost, but your really first hard frost, which is generally like the killing frost um, for most of your like warm weather plants and that kind of a thing um, for us happens in November. So one of the things that you'll want to do um, in fall prep from your garden, and this is kind of regardless on if you do any other things that we'll be talking about in this episode is you don't want to leave um this year's garden plants out in the garden as is. So um, if you planted, you know, your corn, beans, squash, um, anything, tomatoes, especially tomatoes um, and pepper plants, any of those things, you don't want to just harvest all of the crop and then leave all of the stalks and the leaves and the plants just in the garden to rot and mildew over the winter months. And the reason for that, you don't want to leave them as there is, is because a lot of those um, plants, especially like your tomato plants and then some of your squash can get fungus and different things. Um, If you leave them, then whatever disease may be on the plant or there already is going to continue to grow and spread and then it's going to multiply in your soil. Um, And plus, it's also if you leave all of that rotting vegetation um, and any stuff that you didn't harvest that um, just got too far along or got caught in the frost, if you leave that out in the garden all year to rot, not only do you run the risk of um, further disease, you know, plant disease and fungus, that kind of a thing, um, but also if you have fresh vegetation, well, it's not going to be fresh anymore, but that's rotting um, mice and squirrels and, you know, possibly even rats, depending on what kind of rodents you have where you live, um, are going to be more apt to move in. And none of us want those kind of things, um, around our house and in our gardens. So you don't ever want to leave, um, your spent garden, um, just out and about to break down. So there's a couple of things that you can do. And this is, um, generally what, what we do is, um, in the wintertime, we pull all of it up. And if it's anything that really looks obvious disease, like say you have a tomato plant that has a a lot of blight on it, um, then you don't even want to put that in your compost. Um, You want to throw it in the trash or burn it. But you want to get it away from your gardening area, including the compost bin. Now, if it's just regular stuff like our... um, our bean plants, corn, um, the squash, as long as it's not showing any signs of disease, um, and those kind of things, we um, till back in in the fall. So you you kind of just want to pull them up. Um, and if you, there's a lot of debate on this actually, and um, I have some beds that areas of the garden that we do and that we don't. And there's a lot of people. Um, if you've ever heard the term permaculture. Um, that don't like to use a rototiller. Um, they don't like to till up the soil. They don't like the soil to be bare. And they um, do more of like the, the form of nature. Um, and so they do a no-till method, um, essentially. So they don't use a rototiller on their garden. So um, we'll talk about that more in the spring and doing that kind of a garden. Um, but we still do use a rototiller um, at our house. And so that's something that I'm looking more into, um, the permaculture type gardening. Um, it's not something that we um, avidly practice a whole bunch um, at this moment. So um, if you don't have a rototiller or you don't want to till, another thing that you can do is simply pull up the vegetation that you have left and then chop it up with a hoe. And so you just wanted to get it to be as small pieces as possible so that it breaks down faster into organic matter 
into your soil and it can be broke down faster instead of um, sitting in mildewing um, and all winter long. And so that's one thing that you can definitely do. And um, I don't know about you guys, but in the beginning of the summertime, my garden looks um, spectacular <laughs> in the spring because I'm really good at pulling up the weeds when the plants are first growing um, so that they don't get choked out and that you can see them. But by this time of year, I am so done with the weeding. Um, you know, our harvests are still coming on strong. I just did tomato sauce last week. Um and I'm still doing a lot of canning. And so with working and all the canning that I have going on and preserving of the harvest, I don't have a ton of time to weed. So really and truthfully, about midsummer on, um, the plants are all well established and they're larger than the weeds. And so I don't really pull my weeds up. <laughs> I don't really do a lot of weeding come mid to the end of summer. And some of that's great, actually, because um, a lot of the weeds that I have come up in my garden are lamb's quarter and purslane and some planting. And those are all um, actually really good herbs um, and edible herbs at that. And they have some great properties to them. So they're sometimes um, looking into um, wild edibles and and that kind of a thing is something um, that I encourage you to do that we won't be talking about that much in this episode, um, could go into it further. But um, so sometimes those weeds aren't really a bad thing to have growing um, in your garden. So it's just kind of learning about everything um, as you go. And so that's one thing that um, I've learned is a lot of the weeds that I thought were weeds are actually um, edibles and can be used um, medicinally and in our foods and is a great um, source of nutrients. So some of those things actually that I thought were weeds are actually great plants. And so I let them grow right alongside the rest of our vegetables. Um, but after you pull either um, till back in or chop up and put to rest all of your plants in the garden, um, one of the things that you're going to, that you might want to consider doing is planting a cover crop. So a cover crop is just exactly what it sounds like. You, um, plant a crop of something um, and it covers the ground and it grows throughout the winter. And there's some really um, good reasons why you want to do a cover crop is one, if you have really compacted soil or really hard soil, um, cover crops will help loosen the soil and allow more oxygen in and aerate it over the winter, which is really good for your, your spring plants. Um, everything needs oxygen. And then two is your cover crops will help to add nitrogen back into the soil. So if you planted um, or had growing in your soil like a lot of brassicas, and so that would be like um, kale, broccoli, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, um, cauliflower, all those kinds of plants, they can um, they take a lot of nitrogen out of the soil. And so a cover crop will help introduce nitrogen back into the soil. And so... Um, Beans or legumes are another great plant to put in if you, um, you always want to practice crop rotation in your garden in, this, in the springtime. And so you'll want to make note of where you have planted those um, this year. And then you'll want to plant your beans there next year and they'll help introduce nitrogen back into the soil as well. But your cover crop will help add nitrogen back in. Um, and then it also, the another third reason that you want to add a cover crop in is it will add organic matter back in. And so um, we practice at our house an all organic garden. So I don't use any chemicals or pesticides in the garden. I try to use all natural methods. And so um, a lot of times we will use um, 
we'll use natural fertilizers. So um, chicken manure, cow manure, different kinds of manure um, to add organic matter back into the garden. You can do that in the form of compost too as well if you have a compost pile. But cover crops also help add organic matter back in. Um, And how they do that is because at the um, end of the winter, which is the end of the cover crop season in the spring, is you'll actually will work that cover crop back into the soil and help it break back down into the soil. And so it adds organic matter that way. Um, And then another reason that you're going to want to use a cover crop is because it helps control soil erosion. So you know, when you think about it, because um, you always want to make sure that last year's vegetation is pulled up and either worked back into the soil um, or or discarded of, you're going to have bare soil. And so when you have bare soil, um, especially here where we live, we get a lot of rain in the Pacific Northwest. And so um, your topsoil, and so that's the soil that's at at the top of the earth and that you is visual to the eye, that has most of the nutrients and the organic matter in it and is the healthiest. And so topsoil is really important to the health of the land and the crops that you're growing. And if it's bare, if the soil's left bare all winter, when you get those heavy rains that come down and then when you get the snow on it, well, the rain is going to wash that topsoil away and then your heavy snow, um, you know, once it starts to melt, same thing, it's it's going to um, take some of that topsoil away. And if you're where it's cold or dry out, which sometimes happens here, though typically we're more wet, um, if it gets really dry out and then you have a lot of wind, um, the topsoil can, you know, be blown away. So uh, one of the great things about a cover crop is it helps protect your soil erosion. Um, And so that's a a really another big reason to do a cover crop. Um, And then another reason to plant cover crops, which I just kind of love this one because I already told you my thing with, um, I'm not a really big weeder (laughs) per se, (laughs) is um, cover crops help cut down on weeds. And so it sounds funny because you're, you're planting this in fall and then it's growing over winter time. And that's not typically a time that most of us are out weeding or thinking about weeds. But a lot of your weeds happen um, from seed. And so as we know, during wintertime, most of your seed is dormant. But a lot of the seed gets um, deposited into your soil during the fall and the winter months. And so that can happen from the wind. Um, it can happen from birds who eat the seeds or drop the seeds out in their droppings or from other animals that would will be passing over that would eat seeds and then um, have them come out. (laughs) And so if you have a cover crop that is um, covering the top of your soil, then when those seeds land, they're not going to be able to drop down into the soil um, and then sprout and grow the following spring. So you're actually cutting down on your weeds when you use a cover crop. Um, And then another reason that cover crops are so fabulous is because they're really a frugal way um, to take care of your soil. So usually you can buy your um, cover crop seed. I recommend getting it from um, like a farmer supply store. You can get it in large bags there for really um, inexpensive for the most part. And so it's a, it's a very frugal and not much of a work system. Honestly, you just um, you plant the seed and then it grows and does its job and you don't have to maintain it. So that's one of my other reasons that I like cover crops. So now that you know the benefits of the cover crop, you're probably wondering, okay, well, what kinds of cover crops are there and what cover crops do you plant? 
So there's several different um, of cover crops, different kinds of cover crops that you can do. The most important thing when picking what cover crop that you want to do is making sure that when you buy the seed to plant your cover crop, that you pick an annual seed. So whatever variety you do, make sure it says annual. And that way you're not introducing um, new weeds or new things that are going to pop up amongst your vegetables when you don't want them to. So um, one really popular, um, my neighbor actually has used this cover crop for years and, and we've done it as well. We've done it for a couple years and that is um, annual ryegrass. And so ryegrass is a really great cover crop um, because it germinates fairly quickly and it grows um, really well. And it also has a fairly deep root system. And so if you have really hard compacted soil and you want to break that up, uh, the ryegrass root system goes down pretty deep into the soil. So it's really good at breaking up hard soil. Um, and it also is really great. Um, so the ryegrass, um, when you plant it, you let it grow all winter long. And then in the spring, you actually are going to mow it down and then you can let it sit um, until it dries out. So the cut grass will kind of dry out a bit and then you can till it or work it back into your soil. Um, so it's a, it's a great way to get organic matter back into your soil and it's a really good cover crop. Um, and then some other cover crops that a lot of people like to do and would be clover. There's buckwheat oats and hairy vetch, which I have to tell you when I was looking up different types of cover crops, because we do um, typically have done ryegrass. And then um, we tried a little bit different cover crop last year. We did a mixture and I'll talk about that in just a second. But the hairy vetch, just the name alone, I'm like, what is hairy vetch? I just thought it was hilarious. And so I had to, to Google up the image. So you might want to Google the image to see, but it was really interesting. So the hairy vetch is actually part of the Laguine family. Um, which is great because those usually introduce nitrogen back into the soil. And so hairy vetch is, um, it kind of, the foliage on it kind of reminded me of like um, a sweet pea or a wild pea flower. And then it has these really pretty purple flowers that grow on it. So it's actually a, a quite a charming cover crop as far as looks go. And so that's another um, option that um, a lot of people really like as far as a cover crop. So when you are going to go in to plant your cover crops, you're going to want to know that, remember we talked about that hard frost date, you're going to know want to know your first hard frost date because you need to sow your cover crop about six, four to six weeks before your first hard frost date. So it's kind of funny how it works. So you're going to sow your cover crop and cover crops are super easy to sow because for the most part, they're like a grass seed, um, which is quite small. And so you don't need to worry about planting it in rows or making sure that you get it a certain depth into the soil um, and all that kind of a thing. So really with a cover crop, the best method is um, what you just call scatter sowing. And so you'll want your soil to be um, damp. You want your soil to be moist. Um, so depending upon where you're at, like a lot of times we'll sow ours. Um, if we know it's going to rain the next day, then we'll sow ours that night um, or right, right, um, right after a rain when the soil is good and moist. And so sometimes planting in fall, um, it can be kind of tricky because you can still have some of those um, little stretches of dry weather but you don't want to plant when it's dry unless you plan on using a sprinkler or something. The soil needs to be moist. And so, um, but you just scatter it out. And so you can do that by hand, just kind of toss it out in a scatter pattern. 
Or you can actually, and this works great, um, and is what we have done before, especially um, with the ryegrass, is we just use, um, if you've ever seen those, they have little wheels and you push them. They have a handle. You should have two wheels and it's um, a seed scatterer. And so most of the time you use it when you're planting a new lawn or if you're putting in a field and you're putting in grass seed. And so you just put um, the seed in it and then you push it. And as you push it, there's a little um, like little mechanism that throws the seed out in front of it in a scatter type pattern. And so you just put all the seed in there and then you push it along wherever you want it to be planted. So that works really well with your cover crops, um, especially the ryegrass. And so you can look into those um, as well. Otherwise, you can just put it in, the, in your handful and just kind of toss it and scatter it as best you can. But the great thing about putting in the cover crop is um, you can just leave it on top of the soil or you can take a rake and really lightly rake the seed in. But you pretty much want the seed on top of the soil for the most part um, to germinate. And so that's all you do is you just scatter the seed and you make sure it stays moist until it germinates and your job is pretty much done until spring, which is great. Um, and with the cover crop is you will see it sprout, which is why you want to do it at least four weeks before your hard frost date. Um, you know, but, um, six is fine, but at least four weeks before so that it has time to germinate and it has time to start to grow um, because you want it to, to start to grow before that first hard frost date so it can get its root system and it can start growing. And so what happens a lot of the time is you will see it sprout and it will be, um, you know, a lightly green. So you have a lightly green covering over the soil. And then once the first hard frost comes, you, then it will kind of slow down on its growth. So before that, it will grow quite quite quickly. Um, but then once that first hard frost comes in, the temperatures stay really cold and frozen. It doesn't grow um, nearly as fast. It kind of kind of seems to go dormant a little bit. And then as the, you know, in the winter, as winter goes on, and then you get closer to spring and things start to warm up and stuff, then it will, then it will start to grow even more. Um, so you want it to be good and covered and have um, a good head start before that first hard frost comes. And so um, another way that we have done a cover crop, and this one was kind of fun, was um, we did a cover crop of kale. And so in part of the garden, I did a cover crop of kale yes, last year. And that was really fabulous because as it starts to grow and it's baby kale, then you can just eat the leaves. Um, but you don't want to pick them too much so that there's enough to actually work as a cover crop. And so that worked really well. And kind of the same thing. Um, we had kind of a mild winter here last winter. We didn't really have a lot of snow or too extreme temperatures. We had a week or two where it was um, stayed down in the teens during the day. But that was just for a short period of time. And so the kale, it, you know, it sprouted and came up and then um, it got about three to four inches tall. So enough to kind of harvest a little bit of the leaves. And then the really cold weather set in and it just kind of stayed where it was. It didn't really die, but it didn't really grow anymore. And then in the springtime, it started to grow again. Um, and we even had a little bit more pop up from some of the seed that just kind of wintered over in the ground actually. And so that was fabulous because that was one of the first things that you could actually go out and harvest really early in the, in the season um, was the kale that we had planted the year before. So we um, put some kale in, in part of the garden and, and used that as a cover crop. And so that was really nice too. So if you don't want to do a cover crop for whatever reason, you can't get the seed um, or you're too close to your first hard frost date, then another thing that you can do over the winter months, and this works pretty good, um, we've done this before as well, is um, you can put down a layer of manure and then it will break down into compost over the winter months. And so we last year or this spring, actually previous spring, we raised um, some meat chickens and, and butchered them. And so in the um, pen in the coop that we had them in last spring, 
they, of course, um, we let them go to the bathroom and they had some straw bedding and stuff. And so we let that stay in there and we're going to be shoveling that on top of the garden this year um, in some of the sections and using that as fertilizer. And so there's lots of different ways you can do it. Um, I talked about this some in a past episode, which was on um, organic gardening and pest control with organic methods. And so if you need to catch any of past episodes, you missed any of them, um, you can go to melissaknorris.com, hit on the podcast button, and then all of the previous episodes are there and you can click on them. And then um, all of the, the newer shows I'm doing are actually, we have transcriptions so you can read them. And then in the show notes and the resource section, I have links. So to a lot of things that I'm talking about, um, I will provide links for you. And so you can just go and click on those links to, to go further and deeper into material um, and that kind of a thing. So you can always check that out um, under the podcast button at melissaknorris.com. But um, there's lots of different manures that you can use. Um, and when you put them on in the fall, it's great because if you put them on in the springtime, they're going to be too hot and they're going to burn your seedlings. So you don't want to put fresh manure on in the spring when you're planting. But in the fall, you can totally do it. Um, so the one thing um, we have done is chicken manure. You can also do um, horse manure. Um, we have some neighbors who have horses. And so when they clean out the stalls in the fall, they will put the manure um, on top of the garden and spread it out. And then let it break down over the winter time. And they always have a beautiful, really lush garden. Um, and then another friend of mine, they raise llamas. And so they use llama manure on their garden. So um, you can use, you know, any kind of... Uh, you know, that kind of manure, you can use cattle manure, um, that kind of a thing, and you can put it on and let it compost down over the winter time. Uh, another thing that you can do is if you don't have access to manure, um, you know, not everybody I realize lives in farm country, but another thing that you can do is you can take dried leaves. In the fall, of course, you have all of the leaves dropping off of the trees, and most of us, even if you live in the city, um, will have, somebody will have a leaf tree and most people like them worked up. They don't want the leaves on their lawn. So if you can get access to the leaves, you can scatter the leaves and spread them out on top of your garden. Um, and then let them compost down over winter. And you can also get, um, straw and put some of the straw on top of the leaves or on top of the manure to kind of help hold it in place. Um, and that will also break down and create great organic matter for you, um, come springtime. And so, um, you know, you can just go and ask neighbors for the leaves, have the kids, you know, if it's in your own yard, um, bag them up and that kind of a thing. So leaves are really great. And two, when you have the leaves and you do kind of a thick layer with this and then with the straw on top to keep them from blowing away, um, if you live where it's windy and it's dry here, usually it gets so wet that the leaves don't really blow away. <laughs> they just kind of get matted down and then break down over winter time. Um, but when you do the cover of the leaves like that, then it also helps protect against the soil erosion that we were talking about, um, which is one of the benefit of the cover crop. So if you can't do the cover crop, then doing a layer of leaves with the, um, with some straw is a really great way to help with the erosion control and it adds down good organic matter into your garden soil. Um, so those are definitely my, um, tips for, um, your fall garden prep that you'll want to do. And then also we have our new, um, one of our newer features is the reader question of the week. And I've gotten this question a lot in a lot of different places, um, emails, um, blog posts and on Facebook. So I think this is a question that people definitely have want to know about. And that is what is the difference between a pressure canner and a pressure cooker? So the difference between a pressure canner and a pressure cooker is you can cook food in a pressure cooker, but you cannot can in a pressure cooker. 
Now, I actually have a pressure canner that is also a pressure cooker. Um, but if you just have a pressure cooker that just has, um, that does not have the canning on canning, um, instructions with it, and it doesn't have the canning dial that allows you to change the pounds per pressure or the weighted gauge, which is what I have on my pressure canner, then you cannot can in it. Um, and so that is the primary difference with a pressure canner. Um, it builds up pressure, but you can change and adjust the pounds per pressure. So you can do it at five pounds per pressure, 10 pounds per pressure, or 15 pounds per pressure, uh, when you're canning. And so that is the difference. Um, and you can't, you can't can safely in a pressure cooker. You really need to get a pressure canner. Um, and so I've had a lot of questions on that and, and just wanted to address that. And if you have further questions um, on canning or preserving the harvest and that kind of a thing, I want to remind everybody that I have a over 80 um, resources in the Ultimate Home Food Preservation Guide. And that is totally free to my readers. Um, just go to melissaknorris.com. Um, you'll see it on the sidebar. You can click on the freebies button. And I actually have three different eBooks. Um, and the Ultimate Home Food Preservation Guide is one of them to people when they sign up to go on my um, email list and get the new episodes delivered every week into your email. So that is something that you'll definitely want to check out. And I talk about all the different kinds of home food preservation and answering those questions and tutorials in there. Um, so that is for you to go and snag and grab your free copy. Thanks for listening. And if you have any questions, um, go to mostcanorris.com, click on the podcast button and this episode, which is fall gardening prep, um, and ask the questions there. And then I will answer them um, in a future episode. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to Pioneering Today. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes and make sure to head over to melissaknorris.com to subscribe for free modern homesteading updates to help you live the simple life.